Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Friday, December 22nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you, you can find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a real good possibility you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So again, I would encourage you to go on over there. All right. Well, it's Friday. We've made it through this uh, last week before Christmas. And we are going to, like like we've been doing all week, we're going to do our Bible reading. Again, we're in the you know Minor Prophets and Revelation, along with Psalms and Proverbs. So we're closing in on the end of our Bible reading plan. And uh, we're also going to... Uh, Let's see, we're also doing, we've been, we've been working through a section. Shoot, I forgot to put it up there so I'd remember. Uh, we're talking about the humbleness of Christ, the hu- humbleness of the Christ child and of his birth. And so today we're going to talk about the humbleness of the response to his birth. At least the immediate response to his birth, I should say. So, uh, let's see. We are going to go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with the six-day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O Thou Most High, Creator of the ends of the earth, Governor of the universe, Judge of all men, Head of the church, Savior of sinners, Thy greatness is unsearchable, Thy goodness infinite, Thy compassions unfailing, Thy providence boundless, Thy mercies ever new. We bless Thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion for today, sorry, I had that same frog in my throat. Hang on a second. 
I've been fine all day. And then when I go to do this, it happens. Um, so our text for our morning devotion is from Isaiah 41, 10. I will strengthen thee. God has a strong reserve with which to discharge this engagement, for he is able to do all things. Believer, till thou canst drain dry the ocean of omnipotence, till thou canst break into pieces the towering mountains of almighty strength, thou never needest to fear. Think not that the strength of man shall ever be able to overcome the power of God. Whilst the earth's huge pillars stand, thou hast an enough reason to abide firm in thy faith. The same God who directs the earth in its orbit, who feeds the burning furnace of the sun, and trims the lamps of heaven, has promised to supply thee with daily strength. While he is able to uphold the universe, dream not that he will prove unable to fulfill his own promises. Remember what he did in the days of old, in the former generations. Remember how he spake, and it was done, how he commanded, and it stood fast. Shall he that created the world grow weary? He hangeth the world upon nothing. Shall he who doth this be unable to support his children? Shall he be unfaithful to his word for want of power? Who is it that restrains the tempest? Doth not he ride upon the wings of the wind, and make the clouds his chariots, and hold the ocean in the hollow of his hand? How can he fail thee, when he has put such a faithful promise as his own, as, as this on record, wilt thou for a moment indulge the thought that he has outpromised himself and gone beyond his power to fulfill? Ah, no, thou canst doubt no longer. O thou who art my God and my strength, I can believe that this promise shall be fulfilled, for the boundless reservoir of thy grace can never be exhausted, and the overflowing storehouse of thy strength can never be emptied by, by thy friends or rifled by thine enemies. Now let the feeble all be strong, and make Jehovah's arm their song. All right, well, our reading for today, let's see, we're reading Zechariah 2 and 3, Revelation 13, Psalm 141, and Proverbs 30, verses 18 through 20. All right, Zechariah 2. <clears throat> Sorry, a little water here. Hear the, word of the, hear the word of the Lord. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there was a man with a measuring cord in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said to him, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Indeed, I, declares Yahweh, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north declares Yahweh, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares Yahweh. Woe, Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, after glory he has sent me against the nations, which have taken you as spoil, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that, so that they will be spoiled for their slaves. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares Yahweh. And many nations will join themselves to Yahweh in that day, and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. Then Yahweh will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem, 
Be silent, all flesh, before Yahweh, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Zechariah 3 Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, Yahweh who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand delivered from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have made your iniquity pass away from you, and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. And the angel of Yahweh testified to Joshua, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep the responsibility given by me, then you will also render justice in my house, and also keep my courts, and I will grant you access to walk among these who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed they are men who are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant the branch. For behold the stone that I have put before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, every one of you will call for his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Revelation 13 And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain fatally, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking great boasts and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also given to him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who, had been, who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he was speaking as a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. And he does great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which were given to him to do in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. 
and it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak, and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, that they may that they be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Hang on, I need some water here. All right, Psalm 141. A Psalm of David. O Yahweh, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be established as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard, O Yahweh, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds in wickedness, with men who are workers of iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me in loving kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Let not my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their evil deeds. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and splits open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are toward you, O Yahweh, O Lord. In you I take refuge, do not pour out my soul to death. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets. As for myself, meanwhile, I am passing by. Finally, Proverbs 30, verses 18-20 through 20. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the heart of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. All right. Well, like I said, like we've been talking about all week, well, that is our reading for the day, sorry. Like I've been talking about all week, we've been talking about the humbleness of the Christ child. Um, and like I said, I, th I think our acknowledgement of that humbleness, which... For you and I, I think it's critical for us to acknowledge that, that humbleness, because in that humbleness, the greatness of the miracle that God does through the birth of the Christ child is even greater. He is glorified even more. Um, that's, that's why, you know, it's, I've always kind of felt, um, uh, oh, what is it? I'm trying to think of this saying, sorry, I'm struggling to think of this saying, um, oh, I forget what it is. Um, Jesus says something about he, something to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Um, but it, he, he, he makes it, he makes the point. I mean, he basically makes the point, um, particularly when speaking with the Pharisees, uh, well, actually when speaking to other people, but in re relation to the Pharisees, because he's made very, very clear that the Pharisees, no matter what they do, will never have the righteous to be righteousness enough to be saved. He makes very, very clear. And what you and I have to always understand is that the criteria we have to meet, we don't have to be better than the people around us. 
We have to be on the same level as God. We have to have that same level of holiness, of righteousness, of purity, of truth, of goodness. And we don't, and we never will have. We don't have that ability. So if we are humble enough to understand that, and therefore we stop trying to put our reliance on ourselves, we become open to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I see the humbleness as being so critical. Well, that was a thing. And, I, and that's the realization, the contrast between the humbleness of the birth of the Christ child, of the Messiah, the birth of the Savior of the world, the one who would be king above all, king, king of kings and Lord of lords. But he's born in a stable. He's born in Bethlehem of all places. He's born to a carpenter and, and, and a 16, probably a 16-year-old version and the announcement of his birth, yes, while made by angels, <clears throat> was to his two parents and a bunch of a bunch of shepherds out in the field, all of low caste in that system. They it wasn't made to the religious elite. The announcement. Think about that. There and there's a there's a, an intent to that. Uh, Pastor Jay has preached about this from the pulpit, and I have as well. That there is no part of the scripture, there is no part of the organization of the gospel and of the history and stuff happening the way it does. It's not accidental. It's not accidental and it's not coincidental. It happens this way on purpose. Um, you've got to think about it. Um, it's always made me think of. I'm sorry, needle some more water there. It's always made me think of, and I never really realized this. Okay, so sorry. Never really realized this till I was studying through John to prepare for preaching it years ago and then going back through as we did it as our for our Bible study here on the podcast. That you stop and realize in John 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And Jesus even acknowledges his rank among the Pharisees. You are the teacher. And of course, he calls him out, though. He goes, you are the, te the teacher. I mean, he, he uses that article, the teacher of, of Israel. And yet you don't know this, you know, kind of thing. I mean, he calls him out on it, but he, but he even refers to him. But if you notice, Jesus does not reveal himself as the Messiah to Nicodemus to the religious elite, even though Nicodemus looks like, you know, even at that point that maybe he's starting to come around, maybe the Holy Spirit's working on him. And we seem to indicate upon Christ's crucifixion that Nicodemus puts aside his Pharisee hood and goes with Joseph of Arim Arimathea to take Christ's body and to bury him. So we, we would hope that would be an indicator that he was saved. But Again, Jesus doesn't reveal himself as Messiah to Nicodemus. Who does he reveal himself to first? The very first revelation. It's in John 4. To the Samaritan woman at the well. In, his, in, in Israelite society, the Samaritans were considered the lowest of the low. And this woman, who was a serial adulterer, again, had had five husbands and at her age, it's not like they all died. Maybe one or two did, but it had five husbands and now was living with a man that was not her husband. I mean, Jesus called that out on her. So she is the lowest of the low. She's the lowest of the low people. Okay. I mean, they considered Samaritans as dogs. 
Um, they com- considered Samaritans so bad and, and that passing through there would make them ritually unclean to the point that to go from Jerusalem and the area of Judea up to Galilee and around Nazareth and, and Capernaum and all that, they would either, either go all the way east and across the Jordan River and then north till they had cleared Samaria and come back across, or they would go all the way to the coast, go west, all the way to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, go north until they were north of Samaria and come back across. They would not go through. Yet Jesus went through because he had a meeting there with that Samaritan woman. And to that Samaritan woman, the lowest of the low, the humblest of the humble, not that she in herself was humble until Christ put her sin before her, but the lowest in society. And that's who he announced that he was the Messiah to. So we got to think about that. Is that, that, that is, that is the, what, what do they call it in police jargon or whatever? The MO, the modus operandi. That is what God has done repeatedly. Again, I talked last night about Gideon, you know, and the fact is God strips it down to, till he's only got 300 men to fight with against a much larger army, but he does that clearly to show that he is the one that brings about the victory. Well, in this case, think of the humbleness of this that makes clear that Jesus has the impact he does because he is doing God's work. Again, we, as, as we've studied through the gospel of John, Jesus has made clear multiple times. I'm not here doing my own work. I'm here doing the work of the father. And because of that, he is empowered by the Holy spirit. Therefore his mission on earth has the impact that it does. Okay. So the humbleness is critical. So again, like I said, we talked about the humbleness of the stable. We talked about the humbleness of Bethlehem. We talked about the humbleness of his parents and then the humbleness of the announcement again, you know, only to a few people. And I wanted to look at the humbleness of the response to his birth. So, and again, it, it, it still is very humble. I, you know, you can sit there and go, well, wait, what about that? Wait, well, what about that? I still don't think it's that. And I, I don't, I don't see it as being as, as big being big again, this is the savior of the world. And again, the response does not echo across the heavens. The response does not, I mean, you don't see, you know, people flocking to where he was born to, to give praise and honor and glory to him. You don't. What did we see? We see three shepherds be told by an angel that, a savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord, which basically is telling them he's the Messiah. So when the angels had gone away, they went, and I, this is verse 15 in uh, Luke two. And it happened that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as he was, just as was told them. Now, we, it's easy to miss this part, but think about it, right there at the beginning of verse 20. And the shepherds went back. They went back to tending their flocks. They didn't run all over Judea 
telling everybody about this. They went back to their flocks. They went back to their flocks. Um, when the eight days had passed, so, so it goes on in verse one. And when eight days were fulfilled so that they could circumcise his, circumcise him, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their cleansing, according to the law of Moses, were fulfilled, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord um, and to offer a sacrifice. Um, and then, of course, they run into Simeon and then they run into, um, I'm trying to remember what her name is, um, Anna, the prophetess. And both of them, you know, acknowledge him them, themselves. Um, so, and at that very moment, so with Anna, it says in verse 38, and at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and can continued to speak of him to all those who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So you've got a few, you've got one prophet and you've got Simeon who I forget who Simeon was. I've got the verse here, but I'm trying, um, oh, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This is verse 25. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, again, this is not necessarily even, we don't have any indication that this is even a priest or a Pharisee or a scribe or a Sadducee. I mean, we don't know. I mean, you would think that would be indicated if he was. So you've got those two. But I think what matters the most, and, and again, um, you know, people will go, well, wait, what about Herod's response? Well, that didn't happen at the birth. We have to remember that that didn't happen at his birth. Again, we've talked about it. That happened after the Magi came, the three wise men, or that they call them the three Kings at, in some translation, um, whether they really were or not, but they were wise men. Um, and we see Herod respond by trying to kill off anybody that's in the right age range. Yeah, I, I don't see that as glorifying. Again, it's still a very humble response. Again, these these three wise men came. Um, let's see, this is in Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth the leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. Now again, you know, they, uh, <laughs> you know, okay, these are wise men, and yeah, they let Herod know. But of course, we, we get that where Herod and his, and his people, his, his chief priests and his scribes, have no realization that the Christ child has even been born, even though they have all the same information that these wise men do. But these wise men find it. Well, these wise men go, 
they present their gifts and then they go home. Now, yeah, they go home because they've been kind of led um, that, uh, you know, they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So they departed to their own country by another way. But again, even they don't make a big deal about it. I mean, I mean, they, they rejoice and they give him the gifts, but it's just the three of them. I mean, we're not talking some huge entourage that piles in there. I mean, again, it just not, uh, you know, people will go, well, yeah, but they came and they gave him these gifts and then, you know, Herod wanted to find him and all this stuff. And I still see this as being a humble response to his birth. I mean, the fact is the world should have shook with the rejoicing of the fact that, that the Messiah had been born, but it didn't. And it didn't because that's not what God intended because God intended it to be humble because in that humbleness, in that meagerness of the birth of the birth in the stable in Bethlehem to these parents of low status being announced to people of low status and having such a humble response. And again, I know, yes, Herod then tried to kill him off after he and his parents had been sent away by the angels into, or yeah, by the angels into Egypt to get away from Herod to protect the Christ child. And Herod goes nuts. But again, it's still a humbleness. I mean, there's no celebration. There's no, again, like I said, we don't have, um, choirs of angels going back and forth across the sky so that the entirety of mankind can see that the Messiah is born, even though that's really the import of what has happened. It is critical to every man, woman, and child that was there on the earth at that time and for the rest of history. But the response is minimal. The response is humble. And again, there's a purpose behind that. Again, that's what I've, you know, that's what I've been saying for days now is God had a purpose in this birth being so, so humble, so, so lowly, which means humble. So, so lowly because he was trying to make a contrast with what the religious elite had turned what was supposed to be the beautiful worship of God into. They had turned it into a mess, into a man-centered, man-focused, um, disgusting, sinful mess. And that's not what God wanted. And God shows that repeatedly through, throughout Jesus's ministry by showing how important humbleness is. Um, case in point, the Beatitudes, if you don't know what the Beatitudes are, they're at the beginning of Matthew five, and they are basically a, a clear layout of what the Christian should look like. Okay. And I'm going to read the first three verses to you. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. That's what that's saying. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a reason it is the very first of the Beatitudes. Because it is the foundation of everything else listed in the Beatitudes. It is the foundation of our faith. If we cannot be humble, then we will not be saved. If we cannot come to a place of humility and a realization that we are unworthy, will always be unworthy and are completely incapable and only through the grace of God and the love of God, can we be saved until we come to that? We will not be saved. And so we see that example again. I read to you from Philippians two about Jesus humbling himself. Well, again, we see it from the very beginning of his, of his earthly life, the humbleness that set a precedent that led throughout his ministry and has led throughout the history of the church and should be our primary focus now. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight or for today. I thank you for spending this time with me. I will, I continue to pray, um, that this time in the scripture for you and I, um, helps to grow our knowledge of it, helps to shape our walks so or walk is more and more like that of Christ. Um, so that we can do God's good works here within our world because it is desperately in need of them. I hope you have yourself a wonderful weekend. Um, if you, if you're not worshiping, um, especially if you're not going to a candlelight vigil, candlelight service on Christmas Eve, I I would encourage you to do so. I would hope there would be one in your area at a solid church. Um, if there's not, if, 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 or if you're not capable, capable of it, we will be streaming a live service. Um, it is, let's see. It would start at, let's see, trying to do translation from Arizona time right now. Um, let's see, that would be 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be streaming on Facebook at Vale Valley Baptist Church and on Twitter at, at VVB Church. Um, you are welcome to join us. Obviously, we would encourage you to worship physically with those in your area. But again, if you can't, please feel free to join us. And again, like I said, I have every intention of picking back up in our Bible study of of the Gospel of John on Christmas Day. Um, Though who knows, maybe I'll do a kind of little special episode. I know a buddy of mine, Gene Clyatt, the squirrel, the Shinar squirrel, um, um, school for squirrel chatter is his podcast. I think he's going to do a special Christmas episode and it's actually a pretty good idea. I don't know if I will or not. I may just do regular Bible study, but I do plan on having a program for it. And I, and I will do my regular Saturday and Sunday programs here going forward. But again, I, I pray that are you, you are looking forward to some very, very enjoyable, um, holiday time with your family, Christmas time, new year's time with your family. Um, And that you would be thankful to God for all that he has blessed you with, no matter how tough the world is right now, no matter how tough what you're going through is right now. I would hope you would remember how blessed you truly are. All right, let's go ahead. Uh, Let's see, we're going to do our evening devotion. Uh, The text for it is from Deuteronomy 32.5, the spot of his children. What is the secret spot which infallibly betokens the child of God? It were vain presumption to decide this upon our own judgment, but God's word reveals it to us. 
and we may tread surely where we have revelation to be our guide. Now we are told concerning our Lord, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. Then if I have received Christ Jesus into my heart, I am a child of God. That reception is described in the same verse as believing on the name of Jesus Christ. If then I believe on Jesus Christ's name, that is simply from my heart, trust myself with the crucified, but now exalted, Redeemer. I am a member of the family of the Most High. Whatever else I may not have, if I have this, I have the privilege to become a child of God. Our Lord Jesus puts it in another shape. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Here is the matter in a nutshell. Christ appears as his shepherd to his own sheep, not to others. As soon as he appears, his own sheep perceive him. They trust him. They are prepared to follow him. He knows them, and they know him. There is a mutual knowledge. There is a constant connection between them. Thus the one mark, the sure mark, the infallible mark of regeneration and adoption, is a hearty faith in the appointed Redeemer. Reader, are you in doubt? Are you uncertain whether you bear the secret mark of God's children? Then let not an hour pass over your head till you have said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Trifle not here, I abjure you. If you must trifle anywhere, let it be about some secondary matter, your health, if you will, or the title deeds of your estate. But about your soul, you never, your never-dying soul and its eternal destinies, I beseech you to be in earnest, Make sure work for eternity. All right, we're going to close out in prayer here. We're going to close out with the six-day evening prayer. It's called the Mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be Prince and Savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves, but to him cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. Well, that was the uh, December 22nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day that you would, I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Mm-hmm.